Well, like most red-blooded Americans, I'm a big fan of the Defense Department, at least in theory. I like watching the stuff that we do uh, go out there and kick some ass. I think it's an important part of being able to remain a free country and watching the U.S. military in action, especially after watching the Russian military in action, uh, is just something I'm pretty much universally proud of. There's one part of the military I'm not universally proud of, however, and that is the uh, procurement and the accounting uh, side of the Defense Department. And um, we have a news article here to show that, as it turns out, the Defense Department has, in fact, got a few trivial problems in terms of, of, of their accounting. Uh, the article from The Hill says, and I'm quoting directly now, the Defense Department has failed its fifth ever audit. Failed it. Unable to account for more than half of its assets, but the effort is being viewed as, quote, a teachable moment, unquote, according to its chief financial officer. So the chief financial officer of, of the Defense Department that failed its audit said, well, yes, we don't know where half of our stuff is, but but it's that, but that's it's a, a learning experience for moment. all of us. A learn to say, I'm, I'm getting there, Steve. <laughs> okay. It's a learning experience for all of us. The, the article goes on. After 1,600 auditors combed through the Department of Defense's $3.5 trillion in assets, now oh. assets, officials found that the department could not account for 61% of its assets, Pentagon controller Mike McCord told reporters on Tuesday. Now, I have here a very simple calculator because I've been promised there is no math. So let's just see here. And this does not include their annual trillion. budget. This is just their assets. No, no, this, this is, is just their, assets. Their assets. stuff yeah. that they already own. So we got 3.5 trillion times uh, 0.61, and I get 2.275. So that means that the Department of Defense is only not able to account for 2 trillion $275 billion of existing assets, they can't tell you where it is or what it is or where it went. Now, on purpose, the submarines before, are hiding. So I'll, I'll just I'll just <laughs> I'll just wrap up. Well, fair, fair enough. I'll, I'll just wrap this up because of because of the attitude here. McCord, this is the guy who's the controller for the Pentagon said that the department has made progress towards a clean audit in the past year, but later added this year, we failed to get an A. You know what, Mr. Cord? You didn't get an A, and you didn't get a B, and you didn't get a C, and you didn't get a D, and you didn't even get an F, because there is no letter available to describe how you cannot account for $2,000 billion of property. And and this, well, you know, shucks. I, I, I guess I, I guess we're we're just going to have to try a little harder, just so we all know what we're talking about here, and then I'll, then I'll put this article away. Um, I was, okay, what they found this is the study. What the audit found was that there were several new weaknesses in uh, DoD accounting for its assets. Oh, weaknesses. So what new did they weakness. are they unaware are they unaware of maybe where some replacement spark plugs are for the Humvees or something, um, which included nearly two point nine million. Infantry, a uh, military personnel. There's 2.9 million people that we can't account for in terms of who we're paying. We can't find them. Um, equipment and weapons, including a mere 19,700 aircraft, and let's not forget those aircraft generally tend to be in the tens of millions of dollars each. 19,700 aircraft. We don't know where they are. And 290 ships. We don't know where they are either. And they're not all submarines. And physical items, including buildings, roads, and fences on 4,860 sites worldwide. Now, I think that rather than saying we didn't get an A, I think that McCord needs to be treated the way that used to treat people who were these kind of traitors to the country. When you had somebody who was really particularly nasty, uh, 
to your government, what the British used to do was they used to tie you to the front of a cannon and then fire it. And, and that was an actual punishment. That seems like if you do that a few times to the McCords of the world, that might encourage the others to improve their accounting practices somewhat so that they can at least manage to account for $1,000 billion of things that we own. If they were to get to that point, they would have made a 50% improvement already on what they're not capable of doing. Can you guys believe that? That's, uh, I, I would suggest, Bill, that it's not just McCord, <laughs> that it takes a village to lose that much stuff. It does. I'm glad you said yes. that. It does take a village to lose that much stuff. Absolutely correct. You, you perfect segue into the next point. You know what that village is called? There's a name for that village. It's a large village. It has thousands of people in it. Potemkin? The Pentagon. Close. It's the Pentagon. <laughs> yes. The Pentagon was the biggest mistake that we have ever oh. made as a country, at least in terms of our defense is concerned. Because when you have a fortress, and that's what the Pentagon is, it is a secure fortress. And the deeper you go into the rings of the Pentagon, the higher level the decisions are being made and the more secure it is. And inside that concrete fortress, that bubble, sit politicians in uniform making these decisions that affect the people that are not inside the fortress, which would be our country's airmen, marines, uh, soldiers, sailors, and uh, coast guardsmen. They have taken the money that we have put into this defense, and they cannot account for 61% of the things that we've already bought, which means that either the taxpayers got overcharged by a mere $2 trillion, or that money has gone somewhere else. Yeah. Well, there's a third possibility there. I mean, you know, it's, I'm listening. It's, it's possible that there's theft and corruption involved. It's also possible that it's it's mere incompetence and processes that are not capable of handling the volume of things that they have to handle. My guess is that many of those aircraft are being flown on a daily basis and many of those ships are at sea with humans on them and those, you know, 4,860 sites around the world have buildings and roads that are being used. Um, it's just that the Pentagon has no idea how to keep track of stuff. And so it is a giant mismanaged corporation. It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean everything was stolen, although I'm sure a big chunk of it was stolen. I'm sure it's been misappropriated in many ways. But I'll bet you a lot of it is just, it's the towering incompetence of federal bureaucracy unable to keep track of things at, at scale like this because they never had a process that was designed to do it. They've cobbled together little processes over the course of time and they've gotten to the point where it is inadequate. It's probably been inadequate for 60 years. It's inadequate to handle the exigencies of reality today. You know, I, and I'd be willing to, I'd be willing to buy that argument if we were talking about a deficit of $2 billion or, you know, $700 million or something like that. But when 61% of what you allegedly own, when 61% when of your property is unaccountable, that's more than just incompetence. It's, well, uh, that's, it's unaccounted that's, for. It, I don't think it's it, unaccountable. <laughs> it's cute. In uh, in Mash, the movie, the real Mash, not the uh, the TV show, yeah. when uh, Hawkeye shows up in a in a stolen Jeep, and there's a brief moment of where'd the Jeep come from, but at the end, when uh, Hawkeye leaves in the stolen Jeep again, hey, problem solved. Uh, the, the, the piece of property that we didn't know how to account for is no longer my problem. It's somebody else's problem. And that's, uh, that's, yeah. that's fine. And I think there, as Scott was saying, there's, there's a lot of that that goes on, but Bill, when you mentioned the Pentagon, um, Colonel David Hackworth, uh, was a, mm -hmm. uh, 
I, oh, you do know who he Of course you know who he is. A Vietnam yeah. veteran who wrote a scathing uh, uh, denunciation of the military's uh, prosecution of that war. He's the father of special forces. Yeah. And he was nearly drummed out of the army for it. And instead, he got a promotion. I, they they chose wisely. Uh, almost 30 years ago now, he wrote an article for Playboy, which I really did read the articles in, called Nuke the Pentagon. He's right. His argument was there is you, you, you can't just clean it out. There is something essential to that building that is practically haunted. And you just have to take off, nuke the site from orbit. And he said part of it's just its proximity to Washington, D.C. The Army should have its central headquarters somewhere in Kansas, just as as, Absolutely as correct. far away from D.C. as possible. Right. And I think you it clean is a, a lot priesthood. of that up. It's a priesthood in, in that cathedral. It has no contact with the outside world. Yeah. The amount of money they spend on weapon systems is absolutely unimaginable. It's not only insane, it's unimaginable. And time and time and time again, this is the part I actually cannot wrap my heads around, my head around. But time and time and time again, you find cases, like in the case of the Bradley fighting vehicle, where, where the vehicle is delivered and there are specs for the vehicle, the manufacturer delivers the vehicle, the vehicle does not come up to specs in terms of safety or effectiveness. And so what they do is they fake the tests so that the contractors and the generals in charge of the project don't look bad. I'll give you a specific example. In the case of in the case of the Bradley fighting vehicle, when the army did the tests on this thing, they wanted to see if it could withstand RPG fire. So they fired an RPG at it. But they didn't fire a Soviet RPG at it. They fired a checkmate version of the Soviet RPG, which apparently had 30% of the penetrating power of, of the Soviet version. And what's even better is when they did penetration tests to see whether or not the, uh, the Bradley vehicle would explode under fire, they took a Bradley out there and they shot around at it and it didn't explode. And you know why it didn't explode? It didn't explode because for that test, instead of gasoline in the tanks, they put water in the tanks. And this this thing would get hit and all of the spalling, when you get hit with a round, it, it causes liquid metal to, to fly through the thing and either maim or kill the people inside. Yeah. This thing was just spalling stuff everywhere. And it was only because Pierre Spray and a number of other people finally got the Pentagon on record for this, that these that these were corrected. The Bradley now has an interior lining that reduces the spalling and, and it's a it's a damn good vehicle now. But 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 my point is is that people in uniform wearing the uniform of the armed forces of the United States of America knew that these vehicles were death traps and they were prepared to send American soldiers out to die in the field so that they could maintain their promotions and their future jobs as uh, as defense account uh, uh, contractors. And that only happens because of the Pentagon, because inside the Pentagon is the political world of the military. And if you disperse that, you at least get them in contact with actual war fighters. You know, and in, I'll bet you in my a, adult a, lifetime, I can only think of three uh, major acquisition processes that have actually gone well. Um, and, when, and we're not even there all the way with the third one. The first are the Virginia class submarines, uh, the attack subs. Uh, mm -hmm. They've been coming in uh, on budget, on time. On time and on budget. Uh, sometimes even under budget and ahead of time. It, they, they've just done a, a great job getting those boats out there. It's just... Not enough of them. That's Congress's fault, but uh, contracting has been doing a great job. Uh, the other one is HIMARS. Uh, that was developed quickly, and it's it's revolutionary. You know, there was a statistic from the the first Gulf War that I'd forgotten. Uh, when we were uh, sending units to to the desert, um, sixty percent 
of, of a division's mass was devoted to artillery. And there are only, uh, what, two or 300 guns in a division. And maybe not even that many. I can't remember off the top of my head. And our divisions used to be bigger back then. But 60% of the mass of a division was either the guns, the uh, the ammo, or the the fuel needed to, to move the guns around. Just huge. And because it takes a lot of artillery rounds to get the effect you want on the bad guy. Uh, a high Mars, you point, it's a, it's, it's a truck. It's not even an armored vehicle. You point one rocket at the thing you want to hit and it gets hit and you've essentially reduced the weight requirements by half and it's it's, it's revolutionary it, so that was a win and the other getting revealed we're taping this on friday uh the b-21 raider the new stealth bomber uh which apparently has a lot of six generation elements to it so some real cutting edge stuff here is uh only very slightly behind time and on budget um, and for a new generation of heavy bomber, that is shaping up to be a big one. But that's three in my adult lifetime. That's it. Everything else right. has just sucked. So did you have something you want to say, Scott? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I'll bet you, I could just picture, because I've been involved in large institutional organizations. There are probably a lot of people at the Pentagon who have basically excused away what they're doing by saying, Look, I am doing the best I can given the nature of the Pentagon process, given the bureaucracy Probably. that I live in. There's nobody uh, or, or I shouldn't say nobody in any situation, but there probably is nobody who was sitting at their desk going, hey, this is a cheap piece of junk. Let's send it out in the field and see if we can get some boys killed to uh, test that. I don't think they think that way. I think they literally think, well, you know, I'm doing everything I can to make this as good as I possibly can. But the nature of the beast is that I'm I'm hemmed in. And yeah, when you have a conspiracy of people who all believe that they're part of an organization that can't do what it really should do because it's all hemmed in because of other people in the organization, there, there should be a meeting at one point where everybody just kind of stands up and goes, hi, my name is Bill. Uh, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> like there needs to be a, a confession meeting where they stand up and they go, look, I, I've been blaming the process but it's me. And then everybody stands up and goes, I'm Spartacus. Um, you know, like there's got to be a moment where everybody rises up and goes, no, it's me. It's me. It's not the Pentagon. It's me. We are the Pentagon. Yeah. Yes. And, and in order to solve this problem, you have to come to grips with the fundamental aspect of human nature, uh, especially in terms of the military. And that is there are war fighting generals and they're political generals, and they start out as majors and captains and all the rest of it. The people who have the kind of skills that make them good war fighters, generally speaking, have poor political skills because they're direct, they're, they're serious, they don't put up with any BS, and they go out and get the job done. On the contrary, the people who are good at political things are people who are good at massaging opinions. They're people who are good at at, at saying what people want to hear. They're people who are good at you know at, at just all this smooth talking kind of thing. But once you've developed the Pentagon, there is in fact a concrete barrier now between the political generals that are on the inside and the war fighting. And when I say generals, I mean high level officers, colonels, lieutenant colonels. And and on the outside of that are the people who have to deal with the consequences of what comes from inside this thing, and. And the idea that a, that a person can retire from the military and then get a job, a cushy job, working for the company who they supervised yeah. is a conflict yeah. of interest that, that does not escape me. So if it turns out that there's $2.1 $2 trillion that is unaccountable or unaccounted for, 
And that money has already been spent. It's sitting in a giant box somewhere, let's just say. Let's just say it's sitting in the giant box of money out there somewhere. I think what they ought to do is they ought to take that $2.1 trillion, they ought to triple the pay of everybody in the military. And furthermore, they ought to say to every single person that voluntarily left the military because of all of the woke nonsense that was enforced on them, Mandate. they ought to be able to say to them, come back. If you come back, we will give you a signing bonus and we will pay your salary for the entire time that you were gone since you were forced out of the military due to political considerations. Yeah. You had the you had the integrity to leave the military rather than go along with this 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 charade, right? We need you back and 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 we got some back pay for you. That's what I would do with it. Yeah, um Related to that, uh, the uh, USS Ford, the first of a new generation, a new class of supercarrier, uh, just returned from its first deployment eight years late, 10 years late. I can't remember how many billions of dollars over budget. Uh, they just tried to cram too many new things into uh, this this first ship. I think they should have spaced it out over maybe the, the, the first four or six. Uh, you know, we used to do that with battleships. We'd, we'd build a class of two battleships or three or four battleships, and, then the, and that was it. We wouldn't try and make... 50 of them. Right. And then we would refine the design a little bit for the next two. And then, and it worked. Based on how they perform in the real exactly. world. Exactly. Yeah. We, we need to get back to something like that. Um, but uh, Ford apparently had a successful deployment. Okay, that's great. And I read this article. So I'm going to, I'm going to approach, I, I'm going to appeal, I mean, to the, to the hive mind watching this video. There's an important statistic that was missing from the story. I read about the Ford returning from its first deployment. Um, emails, the, uh, the electronic uh, launcher for the for the jets. Uh, it's there for a couple of reasons. One, is since it uses since it launches electronically, electromagnetically rather. It's an electromagnetic system, electromagnetic catapult instead of a steam. Exactly, catapult. it's easier on the airframes, and our jets are incredibly expensive. And by because it can. Because it can moderate the acceleration. Bingo. And so yeah. it's much easier on the airframes and you get longer life, more flight hours out of your Navy jets. That's brilliant. I love it. And the other reason, and it's an incredibly complicated piece of machinery and software uh, the, to run this thing. The other reason is there was supposed to be able to uh, generate a sortie rate 25% higher. That is, if an old Nimitz class carrier could uh, launch 100 planes a day, I just pulled that number out of my butt. Don't worry about sure. it. Sure. Then a Ford class carrier would be able to launch 120. 25 planes a day and that means because they don't have to charge the catapults they don't have to put the air pressure into that steam system and that means you're getting more killing power up in the air which is that's that's great what you're there for i was not able to find in the story i read what sortie rate the ford was able to generate during its first deployment or even if they tried to push it so if anybody out there watching this is uh, uh actually knows this and is allowed to reveal it uh please let us mm. know in the comments because I'd, I'd be fascinated to know so just to wrap this up, what happens outside of the Pentagon in terms of the armed forces of the United States is nothing less than miraculous. A great deal of that is due to the technology, but almost all of the genuine effectiveness, and we see this so clearly in terms of the Russians in Ukraine, comes down to our doctrine, our doctrine of allowing a sergeant or a private to call in an airstrike from a B-2 bomber, if that's what it takes, if it, the, the doctrine that allows a, a, a private or a sergeant 
to call a, a $2 billion aircraft to come in on time and on budget and put firepower where it's needed. That doctrine has allowed us to accomplish miracles. And the people that are out there making these miracles and defending this country are getting paid worse than just about anybody else in this society. So when they tell me that, well, you know, we're, we're just paying everybody we can, you know, and we're, we're doing the best we can. We got a lot of people to pay. When you tell me that you cannot account for $2.1 trillion, $2,100 billion is missing, then I would say to people like Mr. McCord, you know what, Mr. McCord, you didn't get an A on this one. No, you absolutely did not. And And criminal charges are on their way. And they're going to go all the way down to we get to the people who are consciously aware of where this kind of chicanery and thievery goes, and those people are going to go to jail. Because if they don't, then there's no incentive for them to fix the problem and every incentive for them to continue to screw the active duty servicemen that are out there while they enrich themselves with contracts and all the rest of this stuff. It is two different cultures, and it's separated by the wall of that Pentagon, which I think ought to be turned into a money-making building by conversion into an extremely large and intricate skating rink. That's my proposal, and I'm sticking to it.